Welcome to Risk Roundup. Digital disruption is on its way. While the traditional models of marketing are at risk from digital disruption, the emerging digital marketing models are also at risk from rapidly emerging marketing fraud that is creating complex security challenges for nations. So what causes digital marketing fraud and why is that becoming a security risk? It is perhaps because when advertisers place ads in digital format, they expect the ads to be shown to humans. But instead, ad fraud occurs and ads are shown to users that are many times not humans. And it seems this is a growing security risk because when bots, that is the fake users that are so prevalent today, when they visit websites and cause ad impressions to load, they are artificially inflating traffic and impression counts. Moreover, when bots engage with ads, example, they click on it or play videos, ads, or spend more time on any website, each dollar that is fraudulently earned by marketing fraud is likely going to criminal entities and funding growing cybercrimes. This is especially a growing concern with the increase in the use of the programmatic advertising technology that has automated the buying, selling, and placement of billions of ad impressions where the amount of fraudulent activity is growing rapidly. To discuss the need for mitigating ad fraud further, I'm delighted to welcome Rick Khan to Risk Roundup. Rick is the co-founder and CEO of eZenga.com and Ad Fraud Solutions and Nura.io. Welcome, Rick. We are honored to have you on Risk Roundup. Thanks. Thanks for having me today. Wonderful, Rick. So let's begin this discussion by talking about how this evolution from traditional marketing to digital marketing is progressing. Because as with the emergence of the internet and the World Wide Web, it has changed so many things in the across nations and across the, all the components of a nation in how we communicate or how we stay in touch to how we do uh, banking or how we do even marketing, which is the topic of today's discussion. So how is the evolution from traditional marketing to digital marketing progressing from your assessment? Well, it's, uh, traditional marketing, everything is moving over the internet. I mean, it's just a communication protocol that's replacing everything. It's replacing phones, TV, communication. Everything's going online. It's just faster digital communication. And with that, there's room for cybercrime just like anything else. So it opens the doors for anything. So when you have areas of making money, there's areas for fraud. So I always tell people it's kind of like way back in the day if they were transmitting, trans, transferring money from one bank to another it was done with stagecoach. And, you know, piles of money or gold were moved from one place to another. While it was in transit, it was vulnerable. Now that money transits electronically over the internet and it's vulnerable. It's just different type of transit, you know, so you're using packets versus, you know, stagecoach. So it's very different how the money transmits, but it's still vulnerable in transit. It's still vulnerable where it sits. It's just a different way of getting to it. Very true, very true. So from your assessment, this digital advertising system that is uh, being uh, evolving, what is the current state of it and uh, what is it actually made of? What are the different components of this digital advertising system? Well, there's a lot of different things. So you have everything from programmatic to social to search, um, affiliate marketing, um, email marketing. 
content. I mean, there's just so many different channels, so many new ones coming out, mobile. Um, and each one has its own unique ways of uh, getting the actual word out, your messaging out. And each one has a different way of measuring the results. And each one has a way of defrauding the results. So each one has to be looked at specifically. Uh, a lot of different companies out there that are trying to help people uh, eliminate fraud. They look at things very differently. They're trying to identify each channel a certain way and identify different mechanisms that are being defrauded. Um, we do things very differently. We're looking at the individual user. So the user that's interacting with that content, we're trying to stop it at the source. Is the user that's interacting with that content at that particular time real or fake? And fake could be anything. It could be a bot, it could be malware, or it could be actually human fraud. And there are very, very different uh, challenges for identifying the fraud at different levels at different parts of the farm. So it seems so, I mean, uh, when any business or any advertiser or marketing officials, when they decide to put the ad money on these digital systems that are that is evolving, what are the criteria they take into consideration? How do they decide where to put money? Is it like automated process or how does it work? Well, again, it's you have people that are doing the job for you. So some of the companies will hire firms to do the management. Um, some have internal staff that will run it. And you'll use things from different metrics. So maybe it's looking at um, some type of uh, ROI on the back end. Maybe you're looking at uh, something as simple as how, many, how much does it cost to generate a lead for a specific product or how much does it cost to generate a sale for a specific product. Um, a lot more advertising is spent on branding. So you have large companies large Fortune 500 companies that are Fortune 100 companies that are spending a huge amount of money just to get the brand out there. So the biggest question is, how do you judge branding? So not so easy. So usually most branding campaigns are judged by how many impressions do they put out there to generate a click-through. Well, click-throughs are very easily, you know, spoofed by a, by a bot or malware. So and these, these fraudsters know exactly what those numbers are supposed to look like. And they're able to do that. So they use stuff like, I'll call them vanity metrics. I've seen this term used a couple of times where they'll look at viewability. They'll look at NHT, non-human traffic. So they're looking at different metrics that they're trying to eliminate the type of fraud they think they're trying to eliminate. But definitions in the industry aren't strong enough to really eliminate what the problem is. So the problem really exists in the industry and there's really no set standards and that's where the problem exists. So trying to identify what really is fraud and what really is fraud is a big problem. Yes, very true. The problem does exist. So when this ad fraud occurs, is it because of these bots or there are other you know, variables or factors that also plays a role in uh, creating this ad fraud? No, it just comes down to you know, people want to make money and find the shortcut. And... Whenever you do something, I mean, I've been on the internet now since 93, my first internet business. So 25 years. And one of the truths of the internet that I've found over the years, if you pay somebody to do something, they're going to find a way to cheat it. So, so networks out there in the industry, they sell traffic, they sell ad placements to uh, advertisers to put their ads up there. Well, somewhere along the line, someone's getting paid to put those ads up. So... Fraudsters are going to find a way to get their hands on that money somehow. And yeah. there's elaborate schemes of how they're able to do it, whether it's directly. So maybe somebody's getting paid to get a, um, 
e-commerce transactions, so cost per acquisition, they're getting paid to drive sales to a certain company, or maybe getting paid to drive leads to somebody who's looking to save money on their car insurance, or maybe they're getting paid indirectly to drive those transactions. And there's a whole host of reasons why they'll do it. Um, came across a client the other day who um, was so scared about fraud, doesn't know how to handle it. So they only buy traffic from Facebook or from certain entities like that. And they said, well, we don't have fraud because we only buy from Facebook. I said, it's great. Um, do you think Facebook has any fake profiles? And they go, well, yeah. I go, so do you think they have any fake traffic? He goes, well, yeah, but why would they, why would they, you know, I'm not paying them for that fake track. Why would they have, have fake profiles up there? I said, you ever go online and see how you can buy 10,000 likes to your Facebook for like five bucks? Yeah. Well, how do you think they do that? It's not with real people. You know, so when you start to explain people how this stuff occurs, it starts to make sense, but they don't take the time to stop and think. That's because they just don't know. They're not in the space long enough. They're trying to build their business. They're trying to gain access to what looks real. Let's face it, Facebook is not out there trying to defraud their clients. They're trying to stop the problem. There's billions of users on Facebook. And earlier this year, they, they uh, shut off those like 1.2 billion fake accounts. We still haven't done it enough. And they just created a war room to try to stop all this fake news that's floating around their, their networks. So, I mean, there's a problem. They know about it. Yes. Um, Google, a couple years ago, spent a couple hundred million dollars trying to buy companies that were solving fraud problems. Why? Because they know there's a problem. And even with all their technical staff, it's, they can't do it internally. They have to buy companies to help them get there faster. So it's a major problem. It's a multi-billion dollar a year problem that everyone's trying to solve. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. It seems so. So when this ad fraud occurs, what is, uh, I mean, is it based on the uh, impressions or the clicks or what are the different uh, kinds of categories which... Uh, advertisers they look at when they you know when the money you know gets diverted based on like number of uh, impressions or number of clicks or what are the different criteria there well it's and every channel has its own level of fraud so it could be programmatic so you can have video you can have impressions for um and units that you see all over the place you can see um cpa type of transactions so I'm working with a company now, very large affiliate network, where they pay their affiliates based on actual transactions. So if someone goes to, let's say, Macy's, fills out you know, a shopping cart, makes a transaction, they pay the affiliate. Well, three months later, the credit card gets charged back, and they got a problem because the affiliate's already gone. Been paid, and then gone. They're trying to figure out how to identify that form before the chargeback takes place. Our company can identify that for them. So how do you identify that in time to, to knock out the fraudsters, but in order to still make the, the ones that are doing things right happy? Because if you wait three months to pay out an affiliate, they're not going to want to do business with you, the ones that are doing the job right. But the guys that are doing things wrong know what the rules are and know how to get away with things before there's an issue. So they can get in, do their fraud, get paid, and get out before you ever, ever recognize it's an issue. 
Uh, so it seems very sophisticated. You, how sophisticated are these uh, fraud bots that are, you know, probably uh, working in many different formats, like your scripts or you know some other kind of uh, uh, advanced bots that are out there? How sophisticated are these? I mean, these fraud bots, and is it becoming like an industry? Where you know everyone is just focusing on how to make uh, more these fraud bots more intelligent, so that they can uh, go and grab more uh, a bigger piece of uh, this uh, marketing dollars. Think of it this way: you're, Let's say if you're Google and you want to attract the best talent that you can get, and you were to say you're hiring for a new position, a new um, programmer, and you want the best of the best, and you're hiring them straight out of the best schools in the country. And you threw a hundred thousand dollars a year at them, two hundred thousand, three hundred thousand. What what would it take to get the best talent coming out of the schools today to hire that talent? Right? And there's a number. There's some number where you're going to attract the best talent where your competitors just can't keep up, and you're going to get the best talent. Uh, basically, online fraud is a multi multi billion dollar industry. What do you think it would take to get the best talent? Yeah. So they have the money to go after the talent. They have the money to hire people to do the job that they need. So are they sophisticated? Absolutely. Do they know what they're doing? Yes. And the funny thing is, there's no laws against it. Yeah, see, that's the thing. I mean, it, that these things definitely are unethical. Um, there is no doubt about it. But is it illegal? Then it seems that none of these activities are illegal. So it, it's just, you know, growing rapidly, isn't it? Yes, and the, what they'll get them for when they do catch them, they usually get them for wire fraud or something to that effect or tax evasion if they can prove it. Um, we had an actual situation um, see, about 10 years ago in our company where we used to give away free email. A lot of companies back then used to do like, you know, a lot of companies would give out free email, Google gives out free email. But we had a company use, and we were giving out our corporate domain, giving out free email. Somebody had used, uh, my wife was my partner in the company, uh, use her name, added an S to the end of her name, and use that account to do fraud. And we caught on to it somewhere down the line that they were using it for fraud. We had the authorities come in, and we had traced down to, I would say, probably about $50,000 in fraud, which seems like a lot for a smaller company, but at the time, it didn't seem like too much. But we were trying to figure out how to help the authorities trace it down. So it traced overseas, and... Interpol would not get involved at the time unless it was a certain amount. And these guys knew exactly what that amount was. So when we started doing the trace and helping them with the computer forensics on where it was going out, we had found that even though this one account was linked to about 50 grand, this one account was linked to hundreds of accounts, not just for our company, from other companies. And each of these accounts had 30,000, 40,000, but it was hundreds of accounts because computer forensics couldn't tie them to a single entity to break that. And I think at the time, I'm th I keep in my head, it keeps coming back about 800 grand before Interpol gets involved. And because they couldn't tie those accounts together in a provable manner, the Interpol wouldn't get involved. So we can see them, but there was no the facts that they needed. They couldn't prove them, so Interpol didn't get involved. And these guys knew that. So they're smart. They know what the laws are. They stay below the law radar so they can't get in trouble.
So is there is there any activity happening across nations where the nation's decision makers are thinking of creating laws to make this illegal? Why is, uh, I mean, I don't see that in any of uh, the research that we have done that in any nation that, you know, lawmakers are thinking about uh, creating laws against this kind of activity. Is there, what, what is your assessment? Well, laws move slow, you know, legislation moves slow. It's just the way things are. Um, there have been several cases over the past years where they have gone after um, hosting facilities that are hosting this type of activity where they the, the, the server farms are hosting the facilities um, and they've closed them down. They've confiscated equipment. So there have been stuff where it's not like they're sitting there with their hands tied, but, you know, so they do something like that. Next thing you know, the forces get smarter. Well, instead of hosting everything in their facility, there's hundreds of cloud vendors out there. They'll host a couple of servers and a bunch of different cloud vendors out there, making it very difficult because there's no central location. That's the beauty of the cloud. Hosted everywhere, there's no central point of being shut down. So every time they come out with, let's go after them for this, they get smarter, they evolve, and they make it more difficult to get caught. So it becomes that situation of, you know, you want to shut down the source, and that source, because of the way the internet is built, can't be shut down. It's like saying shut the internet down. Can't do it. The internet's designed not to be shut down. That's the whole point of what the internet was built for. It was built originally for the government so that they could hide plans around the country so that if something got bombed, the plans for the rest of the government operation would still operate. That was the whole design for the internet, originally called ARPANET. But internet was designed so it could not be shut down. Same with fraud. The way it's being grown, it can't be shut down. Yeah. However, as an advertiser, you can, protect, you can protect yourself and prevent yourself from buying stuff that's fraud latent. So if you start one at a client at a time protecting yourself, so you're not buying that type of traffic, you protect yourself. Again, shutting it down at the source is going to be very, very difficult because there is really no single source. Yes, very true. It's going to be very difficult. So how much does this digital fraud, ad fraud cost to nations? Is there, do you have any numbers for that? There's a lot of different numbers out there. Um, there's, I mean, one report will tell you, you know, 15 billion a year. Another report will tell you 20 billion, 30 billion a year. Um, it's hard to put an exact figure on it because there's no exact number. So what do you consider fraud? Um, you know, th there's no standard for what is fraud. So there's no way to know what really truly is fraud. I mean, on average, our clients that we're helping them, we're catching about 20% of their spend is fraud. I've seen some clients as high as 80% plus. I've seen other clients 5% to 10%. But I say across all of our clients, on average, about 20% of them spend is fraud. So if you were to look at globally what people spend on online digital marketing and take about 20% of that, that's probably an accurate assessment from our, our standpoint. But some may say it's higher. Some may say it's lower. But I would say that's about that's about right. It's, again, it's going to be just a guess on what people think. Because what... One person says this fraud is different. So if you look at IAB, which is a standard of the marketplace, they're trying to set standards and they're trying to do the right thing. They're trying to progress. I'm an IAB member, so we're all, you know, it's, it's a group that's trying to build the standards and try to help you know, companies build the standards to fight fraud. Um, but they put out that there are companies that are accredited for fraud vetting. And even of the accredited vendors that are in the marketplace, there's still a 30 to 40% discrepancy on what they consider fraud. I see. Because there's no, the standards that are out there are not strong enough yet. 
Right, right. Trying to put those standards together. It's not quite there yet. So who is responsible for solving this ad fraud problem? Is it the advertisers? They are responsible or is there any uh, sort of organization who is working towards uh, creating standards or taking responsibility of uh, or some foundation or who? I mean, we, who is actually taking the responsibility or who is showing that accountability of solving the ad, ad fraud problem across nations? There's no, it's, that's kind of like a weird question because there's really no one who's technically responsible for it. Um, as an advertiser, you want to make sure you're not buying it because you're the one paying for it. But it's your ad dollars that are going to support fraud. So every dollar you spend, there's a percentage of that dollar that's going towards fraud activities. So you're the one ultimately who's hurt by it. So you're the one who cares most about it. Now, whether you're the one actually doing the buying or if you're paying an advertising company to do it, or if you're buying from a network, you want them to be responsible because you're paying them to do a job. Um, then, of course, everyone says, well, if I'm buying from a network who's generating the traffic, it should be their responsibility. So everyone's trying to point the finger at who's responsible for it. Um, the IAB uh, is one organization that's working to try to put standards in place, and they're doing a lot of work and putting a lot of people together to try to build standards that everyone can follow to ultimately knock it out and it's a slow process because there's so much going on but that's one organization that's trying to put some some things together to, to solve it tag is another group that's really trying to put um basically the squeeze on try to put standards in place so those are probably the two organizations in our space that are really working together to try to eliminate or put standards in place to try to to, to solve problems um those are the organizations, I guess, that that's probably your biggest two organizations that I can, I can point to that are trying to do their best to put, put it out. But it's really everyone's responsibility because as an advertiser, you don't want to pay for it. As a marketing arm that you're, you're, you're managing clients' budgets, you don't want them spending the money for it because if they're spending money for it, their ROI is going to be watered down. So you're doing your, them a disjustice. If you're the one generating the traffic, you don't want to be selling fraudulent traffic to your advertisers. So it's kind of everybody's responsibility. It should really not be put on anyone's shoulders. Yes, very true. So, uh, I mean, uh, I, developing standards would definitely help because it would be the beginning of creating some sort of uh, secured, you know, way of uh, advertising and making sure that the money goes to the right uh, uh, entities and right people based on the right, you know, uh, correct data. So, when advertisers advertise, I mean, of course, you know, it's not uh, directly, they, they don't have, a lot of these advertisers don't have the capability to uh, evaluate if there is any fraudulent activity happening because not all advertisers uh, have uh, enough, you know, resources to check on that. So, but so are there any tools available, commonly available tools that can help the advertisers check the fraudulent activity or if there is any fraudulent activity happening? There's a variety of tools out there. Of course, us, we're one of the tools out there in the marketplace. We've been doing it for, and literally, we had the same issue. So when we started the company, my wife and I, 15 years ago, we were advertisers. We started off just like every advertiser out there, and we were small. We were a bootstrap company, started with five brands, so we did not have the resources to do it. I was a, I've been a programmer since age nine, so I had some technical skill to write code. So I wrote my own program to do it. 
And that's how we started. Once we started identifying what was fraud, we were either get some credit back from some of the companies that we're buying from or found out where the fraud was coming from and then stopped buying. So we can start seeing and realizing higher ROI, higher margins, and we took that money and reinvested back in our company to grow the company. So that's what we did. That's just what the resource we took what little resources we had and we made the most of it. We started growing the company. So over the years, we started using that same technology so that when we started buying traffic from publishers and selling it to our advertisers, again, we took responsibility for our advertisers. We didn't want to sell them garbage traffic because it would hurt their ROI and then we'd go somewhere else. So we took responsibility to make sure they were getting the finished traffic we could find based on the resources we had. So that's how we did it. And then as we grew um, over the years, you started seeing a lot of these fraudulent um, fraud solutions come out of the marketplace. So some companies would use other solutions and want us to test them out for them. And as we started seeing what the marketplace offered and we didn't feel that these other solutions were working well, that's when we kind of got the idea it was time for us to release our tool. Because we were seeing every time that they used a different tool, we would see the performance drop. Because they were looking at things differently. We were always focused on performance. Performance for us and most of our clients, that's all they cared about is if I apply a logic or apply a tool to my campaign, does the ROI go up, down, or stay the same? If I apply a tool that filters traffic and it doesn't do anything, there's no net effect, well, what's it really doing? What does it hurt? That's the biggest thing. So for us, every time we apply our solution, ROI went up, clients realize we're actually knocking out the garbage. That's why we've been releasing our tool. So last year, we released our tool, and that's what's been helping us grow. And one of the nice things is when we released it, for us, we needed some kind of splash, I guess, in the marketing space. Because now we're competing against companies with hundreds of millions of dollars in funding, and we're still just a little bootstrap company with a lot of experience. So last year, um, we ended up we were the company that found $3 billion in ad fraud in Google's Play Store. So found malware running in there, and it's just malware. So again, not a bot, not human for now. We're looking at malware that was affecting um, Android devices. So they were stealing upwards of $10 million a day from advertisers on the phones. So we helped them eliminate that. It would have been nice to get paid for that, but uh, it was just kind of a community service thing that we did for them. CNBC did a nice article on us, so we got a little press out of it. So that was our that was our way to get into the market. Right, right. So all these solutions that are out there for identifying the fraud or, you know, mitigating the fraud, what what is the underlying technology for that? Are they using the big data analytics or is it AI-based or what is the underlying technology? All these companies use different methods, um, different analytics. Um, everybody has their own way of doing things. Uh, we've just built ours based on years of knowledge and experience and analyzing trillions of, of uh, transactions over the years. So we just applied scientific method to what we're doing. So each company will give their pitch on what they think works. And then most of them will give you the opportunity to test it to see what works best. And I always tell people, look, at the end of the day, you have your company. And either you're managing your own campaign or you're managing campaign for other companies. Test them. See which one works best for you. If you're using one, test another. Always make sure that the tools you're using are the best tools for the job. And each year, retest. Because what may be a good tool this year may not be the best tool next year. Maybe somebody sitting in the garage comes up with a better tool. You should test it because you don't owe your tools any anything. You owe your customers and your campaigns the best tools that this industry has to offer that year. 
because what works this year may not be the best tool next year because new fraud comes out. And if the fraud company you're using, and that includes us, doesn't keep up with the latest trends of fraud, you want to make sure you have the best tool for you to do the job. And that's important. Very true. So each, on, on <laughs> yes, yes, very true. So each of these solutions, do they address the uh, websites or do they target the network, uh, you know, or is what, what what is the focus of identifying where the fraud occurs? Most of the people in the market are focusing on where traffic comes from, behavior, viewability, NHT, non traffic they all have some of their own they all have their own unique way of how they want to design and what they want to do for fraudulent traffic um, we're a very different company we focus on the user so when a user comes to the site um, we decide in real time is that person real or fraudulent because for us I, I've held this, this, this belief for a long time I don't believe that any location of traffic is hundred percent I'm sorry hundred percent good or 100% bad. There's no 100% with few exceptions. So I hate to say that just because a visitor comes from this site or from this publisher or from this location, they're automatically tossed out. Because every fraudster knows you have to you have to mix in some good traffic with the bad in order to get past most of these systems. So what we try to do is if it's a good user coming in, let it through. If it's a bad user, block it. I'll give you an example. Um, some companies like to block by the IP address, or some companies like to block by a device. Think of it this way. At your house, you have an IP address assigned to you by your ISP. Or maybe it's by your cable modem or whatever service you're using. So that IP address, behind the IP address, you have a lot of different devices in your house. So you have your computer, your iPhone, your iPads, your Android devices, your Alexas, whatever you have in your house, all those devices sit behind a single IP address. So if somebody was to block the IP address, they block everything in your house. That's not a good thing. Now, think of your phone. Your phone is a single device. So if somebody was to block that device, that might be a good thing. But behind that device, there could be multiple users. There could be malware running on that device, like I told you we found last year. Or there could be you using the device. So is it important to block the entire device if malware is found on the device? Or is it important to block the user? We like to block malware when it's running, and if you're using it, we want to let you throw on, a, on an edge unit. We like to get down to the granular level because we don't believe that you should block a device or an IP address or a specific location. We don't believe in 100% good or 100% bad. We want to get down to the actual user. I see, I see, I see. And this is, so each of uh, these most common solutions that are out there, and including your solution that you have developed, do, what are the technical limitations and challenges to the accuracy of the measurement of, you know, this, uh, how much ad fraud is uh, happening? How, what is the accuracy of that? Well, the difference is no matter what solution, whether it's ours or somebody else's, fraud is always changing. So we're constantly trying to defeat the next system always trying to figure out a way to get around it. So you constantly have to be on your toes. You constantly have to be making changes. I mean, we have systems in our, in our, in our software that's updating that itself in real time. So we have certain, certain systems that are doing itself in real time, looking for threats and automatically updating itself. And then we have our engineers that are updating, updating the rules and heuristics a couple times a week 
refining threads that have to be done manually. Um, that's pretty advanced for our industry. But you know, some some of our competitors might be doing things. You know, they do things differently. Everybody has to do things differently. But again, the limitation is how fast can you keep up? There's a lot of fraud going out there, and there's a lot of groups out there that are doing fraud. So, how many different groups are out there, and how many people are trying to do different things differently? How fast can you stay on top of things? That's the challenge. You know, there's how many different groups out there committing fraud? How many of us can keep on top of that? So there's always something going on. So we try to, at least with us, and I know a lot of our competitors do something similar, try to employ machine learning, AI, and humans to try to combat as much as possible the way we do things. So everybody does things a little different. Like I said, no, no single company is right for everybody. So that's why I tell everybody, look at the different options out there. Yes. Take for a test drive and decide which company is the best for you. True, very true. So you say your solution is uh, operational in real time. So is it able to stop the uh, fraudulent uh, clicks or impression in real time? Or you just an analyzes and uh, collects the data? We do both. We actually can give the user a signal whether the user is real or fake in real time. And then it's up to the, um, the user to decide what to do with it because we don't actually do the stopping, but we give them the signal because everybody wants to do something different. So you may want to stop them. You may want to let them through. You may want to redirect them to a different page. Everybody wants to do something different with a fraudulent user. So it's completely up to them. So what we'll do is we'll respond in real time and say, hey, this is a fraudulent user. And then you can decide what you want to do with that fraudulent user right then and there. Um, in addition to that, we collect all the data and we have an advanced analytics package so you can really drill down and figure out where the hotspots are and decide Hey, it's all coming from this source of traffic, or it's coming from this keyword, or it's coming from you know this social channel. So you can decide, you know what, let me stop buying from that location and take that budget and move it over here so I can increase my ROI. So it gives you both aspects. I see, I see. So from your assessment, do you see the problem going to keep just increasing? What are your projections? As long as people are paying for advertising, fraud's going to be there. Um, is it going to go away? No. Um, I think it's going to be there for a long while. I don't think they're ever going to solve fraud. It's just how do you mitigate it? How do you reduce it? Um, I'd like to say we can get it under control, but I mean, it gets to a certain point where will it get out of control to the point where fraud starts overtaking to the point where people stop advertising? I don't think that'll be, I don't think that'll happen. Um, but I think, I think we can get to a point where at least we're controlling it to a point where the advertisers that are using the right tools and doing it and coming up with a methodology that makes sense will get under control to a point where they're okay with it. It's kind of like for years, people would buy, let's say, ads in certain newspapers without mentioning names in newspapers. And they knew that that distribution had X number of people seeing that newspaper. Yet I would go to hotels all the time and there would be a newspaper sitting on the floor that I would never pick up. But yet, they counted me as a reader. I never picked up that newspaper. So is that fraud? Or is that just, I didn't look at that newspaper, and again, I'm being counted as a reader. So you deal with that in marketing, just like how many people DVR show and zip through the commercial? Yes. As a, as a viewership? Now, today, there's more statistics on that, so they can... 
know, because now the DVRs have two-way communication, they can track that and give you a more accurate answer. The internet's pushed that to the envelope, so now people have to record that information and say, well, here's here's how many people it's being shown to, here's how many people are actually watching the show. They can they have that information. Go back 10, 15 years, 20 years, they didn't have access to that data, so they said, hey, we're in this many homes. This is how many people are seeing the show, but they don't really know how many people are watching the commercial, getting up from their seat and going to get some popcorn or hitting play and record on it and then watching it later and then zipping through the commercials. They don't have that information. It's kind of the same thing here. So, and, and this was equated a long time ago. So there is a certain level of fraud that is going to be there. But we want to get it down to the least amount possible. There's going to eventually be an acceptable amount. Um, but I, I don't think it's like ever getting rid of it 100%. So our goal is to get it down as low as possible, get it down to zero, you know, zero. But again, yes. something that's going to be there. Well, I hope you're able to achieve that. So what, what should advertisers do uh, as, as sort of like prevent uh, preventive measures to minimize ad fraud now and in the future, especially when they try to go and put the money in the ad exchanges uh, in for getting this, you know, uh, their advertisement out. What, what what should they look out for in the ad exchanges and where they should, you know, pay more attention? First, you want to make sure you have a good tool set to mitigate and, and report on fraud. Um, test it. If you're using a tool, test, it, test other tools. Make sure you have the best tool that, that you can. And, and once a year, retest. Never settle and assume that you've got the best tool. Always retest. Um, that's number one. Number two, if you're running a branding campaign, which a lot of these companies do, um, you want to mix in a performance-based campaign with it. Because again, true branding campaigns, there's really no definitive, quick way to test a branding campaign to see if it's really, truly in front of somebody. Because the old-fashioned, um, I shouldn't say old-fashioned, but the metric used typically for a branding campaign is viewability. And the standard, everyone's like, oh, yeah, it makes sense. It's, I, want, I want to know if my ads, you know, somebody's seen my ad. But the standard, the actual definition of viewability is, is the ad in view, at least 50% of, of my ads in view for at least one second. That's the standard definition of viewability. That's not what people really want. So forget the viewability metric. What you want to know is, is it really in front of people? So the best way to do that is sprinkle into your campaigns a performance metric. I think Coke did this best. What they would do is they would do a huge branding campaign. Then they would sprinkle in a performance-based campaign. You remember the old um, screw tops? They would take off the screw top and they would say, hey, go to this website and see if you won something. So they would sprinkle in a small percentage of performance-based campaigns where people see an ad, they see if you won, type in this code, and it would be a, basically some type of action that was required. So they were sprinkling, sprinkling in those campaigns with their branding campaign see how the overall campaign did. And if they saw on a certain channel that it had a good cost per action campaign working, they can then judge the rest of their branding campaign and say, okay, it's working pretty good. So it was kind of like a, a litmus test or a sample. So they say, if this sample is working good, then I can pretty much judge the rest of the samples going good. Just a simple way of knowing that it's working well. That's a good way to test your branding campaigns. Right. Right. So, the solutions that you have developed and the other solutions that are out there for um, preventing ad fraud or, you know, at least uh, detecting ad fraud, are they effective uh, 
or accurate on both the platforms i mean uh, mobile platforms as well as the desktop or all kinds of uh, devices is it uh, does it work through all the devices or is it specific for a certain device i can't speak to that on my competitors um i know we are because let's face it the majority of the internet is mobile mm -hmm. so if you pick a solution better work on mobile um and again last year we found that the floor that we found on google was only mobile is in the mobile it was an android so you have to make sure whatever tool you pick is mobile based unless of course everything you do is non-mobile based which in this day and age i don't think anybody's doing stuff that's non-mobile based um so most of our clients we see is they do a mix um although some campaigns that we work with or some companies work with do only mobile but any tool you pick must work on mobile mobile does create certain challenges um less information there's more privacy concerns there there's less data to grab but nonetheless you still want to use it to have works on mobile right right so what what would you like to tell about your solutions that you have developed over global viewers and listeners uh, especially those businesses who are investing a lot of money in their advertisement and uh, what would you like to tell them how you can help them with the solution that you have developed well basically the best way to look at it is we built a solution for ourselves never to license it out so we put all the bells and whistles into it we built it for ourselves and we took our time building it 14 years so we took a long time before we really decided to launch this out as its own platform when we finally decided to launch it our clients were reporting that we're finding 2 to 300% more for than our competitors and with 0% accuracy and with 0% false positives so if we say something is fraudulent it's fraudulent you don't have any questions about it in fact most of um the competitors in the marketplace they don't actually give you a, a basically a, a good or bad score they actually give you a score so they'll give you like a percentage of likely to be fraud so that they're not being held accountable or well, we give you a good or bad score so if we tell you it's bad it's bad there's no percentage of bad or percentage of likely it's bad so we're definitive with our scores we've been doing this long enough to be confident so best thing i can tell people is i don't care who you're using how much money they have behind them side by side give us a shot and i guarantee you we're going to win that's simple good good so what would you like as uh, this is the last question what would you like to tell those uh, young brilliant minds who are getting uh, attracted into doing these fraudulent activities it's easy money or maybe it's a thrill for them and trying to do what is not right uh, what would you like to tell them to you know change the size and you know come on the right side and help prevent the security risk emerging you know from these kind of activities and help their nations protect their not only uh, the hard earned investment uh, that is happening in this uh, ad campaigns but to make sure that the cyber crimes and the criminal activities are not funded by these kind of activities so how would you what would you like to tell those young brilliant minds who are uh, somehow misguided and doing this uh, for their daily living well it's hard to change a criminal mind you know if they're into doing stuff like that i don't get it because i like to sleep at night put my head on my pillow and you know my family's taken care of There's really good money in doing things the right way. Um, all I know is karma will come back at you, and you know, all I can say is think twice about what you're doing and think about who you're hurting. But at the end of the day, you know, look at look at what you're doing and look what you can be doing on the right side of things. So, 
like I said, you, you really can't change. If someone's going to do things and somebody has criminal tendencies, they're going to do what they're going to do. Only so much you can do. But at the end of the day, you should do things. Thank you. Yes, very true, very true, Rich. So thank you so much, Rick, for participating in Risk Roundup today. We appreciate your thoughtful insight on mitigating ad fraud and the solution that you have developed. Our global viewers and listeners would benefit tremendously from the information you provided on the existing tools for mitigating ad fraud. And even if a single individual or entity can understand the complex challenges facing uh, where their uh, hard-earned, you know, investment is going in terms of, you know, uh, advertisement today and in the coming tomorrow, based on the discussion we had today, this discount of dialogue has been of service and we thank you for that. Appreciate it. Thanks again. Wonderful. So Risk Roundup, a global initiative launched by Risk Group, is a security risk reporting for risk emerging from existing and emerging technologies, technology conversions and transformation happening across cyberspace, geospace and space. We at Risk Group believe that risk management, security and peace, they walk together hand in hand. Though security is related to management of threats and peace to the management of conflict, Risk management is related to management of security vulnerabilities as well as management of conflict. And it is not possible to conceive any one of the three without the existence of the other two. All three concepts fit into each other. We believe that the security we build for ourselves is precarious and uncertain until it is secure for everyone across nations. Tradition becomes our security. So if we build a culture of managing risk effectively, it will lead us to security and security will lead us to peace. Let's manage the existing and emerging risk together. For more information on the risk roundups, to watch the risk roundup webcast or hear the risk roundup podcast, please go to riskgroupllc.com and do not forget to subscribe and share. Until next time, I'm Jayashree, host of risk roundups, signing off. See you next time. Thank you.